Good morning, Miles City. How are you guys doing this morning? All right. We're so glad that you're here. And whether you're watching online or with us here live, we sure do appreciate you making it a priority and taking time out of your busy schedule. It's such a busy time of year to make sure that you're here to sing songs to the Lord and to hear from his word. And so we thank you for that as we come up on our Christmas season. We are only eight days away from Christmas. One person is excited about that. That's good. All right. I feel like if I was up in kids, I'd get a whole different response. So anyway, but eight days away from Christmas. And you know what's fun is sometimes at Christmas time, we start to see like uh, trends come back that used to be really cool. You know, uh, for us that are a little more seasoned in the audience here, I'm getting ready to celebrate my 52nd Christmas, which sounds horrible. That's like a half a century. That I'm old. But anyway... You know, you, you start seeing things that you remember as a kid that was really cool and then it went away for a while and now it's kind of back and stuff. So I, I was thinking about some trends, um, Christmas decorations maybe that come and go. And, and some of these, it seems to be back because I'm really cutting edge when it comes to Christmas decorating. You guys didn't know that about me, but, you know, just call me Martha Stewart. But anyway, all right, here we go. Here's the first one right here. We've got a ceramic Christmas tree. Does anybody have this? Anybody? All right. <laughs> I see young people in the back have their hand up. All right. Okay, my mom, when I was a kid, actually went to ceramics class and made one. Okay, and she still has it and it still works. I guarantee that she has it out this year. But you can get this if you go, I believe this is available at Ace Hardware for $24.99. And you can stop by and get you one if you don't have one. This is, you'd be cutting edge right now, but also, and if you have an original from like 30, 40 years ago, they're worth some money, all right? What about this next one here? The old Santa mug. Oh, it's the same people. All right, great. That's exciting to me, all right? So first service was all old people, so that's good. All right? The Santa mug. My mom has one of these as well. I remember growing up with this, and you can get these now at Michael's for $9.99, curbside service available if you don't want to go in. They'll bring it out to you, okay? I, I looked yesterday to make sure I wasn't pulling your leg on this stuff. How about this right here? Now, this is an ad from like a 1950s thing. But look, they had pink trees back in the 1950s. At my house in my daughter's room, guess what's up? A pink tree because she wanted a pink tree. Here's my last and my most favorite one is the flock tree. All right, remember the flock tree. Now, here's the deal. I was downtown Plymouth with my wife and all them fancy stores down there, you know, and they had flock trees in the windows. And my wife's like, maybe we should get a flock tree this year. Thankfully, we didn't. But I'm old enough to remember when you can buy the flocking in a can, an aerosol can, and you spray it on the tree. You know, your parents with the cigarette in their mouth spraying aerosol on the tree. Because, you know, cigarettes weren't bad. We didn't know they killed you back then, all right? But no. So all these trends that used to be big are coming back. They've been resurrected. And today we're talking about a resurrection, but not of Christmas trends. We're actually talking about the resurrection of a person that wasn't named Jesus Christ. It's one of the most exciting stories when we look at scripture of Lazarus being raised from the dead in, in John chapter number 11. Now, what I want to encourage you today, though, is this is a great story that probably some of you are familiar with. You've probably heard it before. But really, this story isn't about Lazarus. It's really about Jesus. See, John wrote the book of John so that the reader would understand who Jesus was. 
John didn't put the miracles of Jesus in there so it would be kind of breaks between Jesus' messages to the Pharisees to kind of break up the story. No, John wanted us to understand who Jesus is and that, that Jesus is the Son of God. And that through him we can have life everlasting. That's why Jesus came. And so today as we look at this story and we think about this story of Lazarus, I want us to kind of look at it through the lens of what did Jesus do? Who is Jesus in this story and what did he do? Because really that's what's going to change us. That's what's going to encourage us. That's what's going to bring us peace in this Christmas season. I realized when I said to some of you that Christmas was eight days away, you've already clicked into, oh man, I got a lot to do in eight days. You know, if you're like me, you're like, maybe I should start thinking about Christmas shopping at some point. It's getting up there. I mean, even Amazon isn't going to be able to deliver on time if you wait much longer. But today, as we look at this story, we want to think about, hey, who is Jesus and what has he done for me and what will he continue to do for me? Because really, that's what this story is about. So we're going to talk out of John chapter 11 today. But before we get into it, let's just take a moment and ask God to be with us today. Lord Jesus, we come to you today and we're grateful and thankful for this opportunity. And we thank you that we have this place that we can come together and sing songs to you and hear from scripture. God, I just ask that over the next few minutes that as we look at John's accounting of what you did for Lazarus, Lord, that you would challenge and encourage us. That our minds and our hearts would be free from distraction, that we would be able to hear what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us. God, I ask that you would speak through me, that my words would be your words. And that I wouldn't get in the way or I wouldn't give what I think should be said, Lord, but that I'd be sensitive to your leading and say the things that you would have me to say. God, we come to you today and we're so grateful for your son, Jesus Christ, and for the sacrifice that he made to be born as a baby, to live a life so that he could die for us, that he could raise again from the dead, Lord, so that we could have a relationship with you. God, we want you to be honored. We want you to be glorified in what is said and done. Well, thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come to John chapter 11, and it's not the end of John, even though this is the end of our series, Lawbreaker. But in John chapter 11, we're getting really down to the close of Jesus' public ministry. I know there's still 10 chapters left after John 11 and John, but really those last 10 chapters focus on a very minute piece of time in Jesus's life. So Jesus is coming down in this constant struggle that he has with the religious people, with the, with the Pharisees is really starting to come to a head. Like this is getting extremely intense. In fact, now they've got the chief priest on board and really they're looking for Jesus. They're trying to find him so that they can put him to death. That's where this is at. So there's there's some intensity and anxiousness of what's going on in this story that sometimes we don't realize. So we come to John chapter 11 and verse number one says this. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. When Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. 
Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? As we read this passage, there's several things kind of stick out to us. We first see that there's a dear friend of Jesus that is ill, so ill that his sisters feel that it's necessary to send for Jesus to come see him. The sickness is beyond what anything the doctors can do. It's beyond anything of healing. And they know their only answer is Jesus. I don't think the sisters, I don't think Lazarus was oblivious to the fact that what was going on in Jesus's life right now and that his life was being sought for in the region that they lived. I don't think that was lost on them, but this, they were in such a desperate situation that they needed Jesus to come. What we see here is there was a realness of suffering. There was a realness of suffering. See, Mary and Martha were suffering because their brother was getting ready to die. Then you have Lazarus in the story. And Lazarus obviously is suffering. He's so sick that they kind of know that this is it. That if something miraculous doesn't happen, he's going to die. But not only are they suffering, but I think even the disciples are suffering a little bit because they're afraid for their life. Sometimes we forget that the disciples were human beings that just a couple years early had started following Jesus. And so they didn't have everything figured out. And all they knew was, hey, if you go back to that region, Lord, they're going to kill you. And if we're with you, that doesn't look good for us either. There's a lot of suffering going on. And the suffering is happening to people that are close to Christ. People that he cared about, people that he loved are suffering, some from anxiety, some from sickness, some even from death. It kind of reminds us that, hey, it doesn't matter how close we are to God and how much God loves us, we're still going to experience pain and sickness and hardship in our life. Jesus attempted to get people to understand this over just a few chapters later in John chapter 16 and verse 33. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And then he makes this statement in the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. For many of us today, we might be in the middle of some suffering. Seems like the holiday season, the Christmas season can bring out that. It reminds us maybe you've lost a loved one around Christmas or maybe there's some sickness in your life. Maybe it's a broken relationship or a wayward child. Maybe it's anxiety or mental illness that you're dealing with today. Can I encourage you that Jesus can bring peace even in the middle of suffering? He didn't take this suffering away from them. He just didn't fix it at the moment. In fact, he sat in it for a couple days. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves and ask ourselves, what do I suffer? What am I suffering through right now that I need to ask Jesus help with? Because sometimes what we do is we suffer and we forget to ask Jesus for help. Mary and Martha, they knew they were so desperate that even if Jesus had to risk his life. They felt it was necessary to let him know what was going on. 
They didn't forget to ask Jesus. The story goes on in John 11 and verse number nine, it says this, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. So the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Basically, we don't need to go if he's just asleep. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin. This is also doubting Thomas said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Mr. Eeyore right there, Debbie Downer. Well, you know, both passages stop. Hey, Lord, uh, the first passage we stop, they want to stone you there. And then Thomas says, well, I guess we'll go and we're going to die too. He's like, thanks a lot, Thomas, for the positive attitude. I can't wait to go on this trip with you. But it's interesting to see the Lord and the way that he responds to this. And what we get a little bit of a picture of is the reality of his eternal timing. See, Jesus knew his time on earth was limited, yet he still waits two days to leave to go see him. He doesn't leave right away. He doesn't wrap up what he's doing and say, hey, I've got to get out of here, which you would think would be the normal response. Hey, Jesus, one of your best friends is dying and we need you to come. You would think Jesus would drop everything because this was one of his best friends. People that scripture make sure, John makes sure he points out that Jesus loved them. And yet he stays for two days. When we think about that is there's a lot of times in our life we have questions on the timing of God. Why does God not do things when we want them done? We live in a society that we love Burger King, right? Well, we, we might not love Burger King, but we have it your way, right? BK, I could sing that song I'm not going to because it'll be in your head like it's in my head, okay? That guy cannot sing. I figure I could do some commercials because that guy can't sing and he gets to do commercials. You know, we live in a society where we want it our way right away. And sometimes the timing of God isn't our timing. Sometimes things don't happen as quickly or in the time that we think they should happen. And what happens is when God's timing doesn't align with ours, we can get frustrated, we can get angry. And then what happens in our life is we have a tendency to interpret the love of God through our circumstances. When in reality, we should interpret our circumstances through the love of God. Don't be discouraged if God's timing isn't yours. In fact, ask yourself this question, where do I need to align my timing with his? Where do I need to be patient? Where do I need to trust? Can you imagine the angst that Mary and Martha had? Now listen, this wasn't a phone call that they made that they could hear from him say, hey, I'll be there in a couple days. I'm gonna be here for two more days. They didn't know that. They had to sit there wondering if he was going to come and when he was going to get there. 
And yet they waited patiently. Think about what they went through. When they do the math in their head and they say, okay, Jesus should be here today. Jesus should show up today and maybe they sit on the rooftop looking in the distance that he'll be coming from. He doesn't show up. Well, maybe something held him up, but he'll be here tomorrow. Tomorrow comes and he's not there. But it wasn't his timing. Sometimes we might feel that way in our life and we just have to ask ourselves, where does my timing need to line up with his timing? The story goes on in verse number 17 where it says this. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So when you start doing the math, this was almost a week ago that they had sent for somebody to find Jesus. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But it's a good pause right there. She figures something out right after she says that. She says, but even now. I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. This is a probably out of this passage. This is like the neatest part right here. It's not Lazarus being raised from the dead, which spoiler alert, you kind of knew that's where we were going. But this part here, you see the faith journey of Martha and you see this authentic faith journey that she's on. You think about the story of Martha and Mary earlier that we meet Martha and Mary. Martha's the one serving while Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus listening. And Jesus kind of gets on Martha for not understanding what the important thing was. It's almost like they flip roles right here. You're going to see how Mary reacts in a minute. But Martha now has figured out, hey, I know who Jesus is. She knows what he can do. She's made this journey, and yet she's still raw and real with him. She goes, Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. If you would have come when we asked you to, he'd be alive. But then the rawness and realness of her faith, how authentic it is, she realizes, but wait a minute. I believe that you're Jesus, the Son of God, and you can do whatever you want. You can say whatever you want, and it'll come true. It's almost like Jesus is wanting them to kind of sit here in this moment and figure this out. And then Jesus makes one of these statements. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. This is one of the seven I am statements that he makes. This is the fifth one. What he's wanting them to realize is the resurrection isn't an event. It's a person. I am the resurrection. 
And he wants them to realize that life, I don't give you just a better life. I give you life itself. I am come that you might have life. Jesus is life. See, we live in a world that is searching for something real and authentic. And Jesus said, I am it. It's not some event. It's not some place. It's me. And it was fun for Jesus to see Mary and Martha figure this out in their life. If you're a parent in this room, you understand this desire that you have, that your kids have their own relationship with Jesus Christ. I have three kids of my own. My wife and I both are in ministry. My wife is the kids director here at Miles City. And so not only is our job ministry, but we also want our kids to understand that, hey, you got to have your own relationship with Jesus. I was excited this summer when my youngest son gave his life to Christ. I was even more excited when he made the decision to follow the Lord in baptism. And then it was like God's in control and he worked it out that today is the day that Liam's story, my youngest son, is supposed to be told. And it just so happens to fit into my message. And so watch this story of Liam's life change with me. I grew up in church, went to church every Sunday, help every Sunday still. But um, I like, I always went, but I never really felt a connection to God. I always felt like I just went because my parents wanted me to or because I needed to help on Sundays. Or, But I never felt a real connection between me and God. A lot of times I'd just sit there in service and doze off. So like growing up in church, it felt more of like a study class to me. It felt like people were just telling me stuff I had to know instead of me actually taking it and applying it to my life. So at camp a little more than a month ago, um, I was talking to one of my leaders, Ryan Mills, and I was telling him about how I wanted to talk to my dad about how I felt like I needed to take a step back from church because I really felt like it wasn't for me at the time and that I didn't feel like it was doing anything for me. I just felt that it was a waste of time. But then um, during one of the worship songs in the service, uh, Kat, a leader from Grandma, was talking about how you need to put your pride aside and really let Jesus into your heart. And I felt that that was the problem with me, that I had always like felt like I was too high or too mighty to let him take over my life. And when she said that, I just felt a click, and I felt like it was God talking to me because I had had the conversation with Ryan Mills the night before. So when she said that, I felt the connection, and I went and I talked to Ryan Mills, and uh, I decided to give my life to Christ that night. My main problem was I wasn't engaging in church, so I didn't realize like if Jesus was talking to me or not or if he was trying to tell me something. I didn't realize that until I went into service trying to see him moving and once I did that once I went in and I expected something from him I got something from him and that's how I ended up getting saved and now that I have been saved even during service I feel a difference about me feeling a connection with God and me feeling that he's talking to me and a lot of things that we're learning in service now so Ryan Mills was always 
constantly, like I've talked about, he's been a constant light in my life, texting me, always checking up on me, making sure I'm okay. And there's Jordan. He's always he's always helped me in the right direction. Even hearing his story, like me and him have similar stories, and it helps me feel like that I don't I'm not the only one that's been through this, and that I'm not alone in it. And then there's my parents, and they've always they've always taken me to church. And even even though a lot of times I didn't want to go, I I know that they always had the best in mind, and that they always wanted what was best for me. So at first I was thinking I I really didn't want to get baptized like when I got saved but because I didn't feel like I was good enough or I had like grown towards God enough but then I realized that that's not the purpose of baptism the purpose of baptism is to show people that you have accepted God in your life and that you're going to continue to keep trying to grow with him and grow through him my name is Liam Martin, and I'm getting baptized because I want to show people that I'm trying to grow towards God every day. So a couple things for that. First thing is I want to encourage you as a parent to let other people speak into your kid's life and not just let anybody. But there's a reason that my kids are here all the time. There's a reason that my kids are here on Wednesday night at Drive is because I want godly people searching and following after God to speak into my kid's life. And you never know what adult besides you as a parent can speak peace and comfort and God's will into your kid's life. And so that's so important. But also it was fun to see. Um, and I watched that like six times yesterday, so I wouldn't cry today and I'm doing good. So, um, but it's, it's neat to see when Liam made this faith journey, his own, where his faith became his own, it became real to him. And I want to encourage you guys today is, is that's what needs to happen in your life. Your faith can't be someone else's. The relationship can't be because, well, my parents went to church or my grandparents went to church or, hey, I think I think this is the right thing to do. And so I'm just going to be here. No, coming to church is great. Reading your Bible is great. But you got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to make him the Lord and Savior of your life. What Martha realized this right here was, hey, I wish you were here. But I believe that you're the son of God and you can do what you want. And sometimes. What he wants to do isn't what we want him to do. And yeah, we know that this worked out for Martha here. He raised Lazarus from the dead. But I think what Martha was saying was, I trust what you're going to do regardless of what it is because you're the Lord. And today I want to encourage you, make your faith real. So the story goes on in verse number 28 and it says this. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and calling for you. It's amazing, Martha's now the one telling Mary to go sit with Jesus, when before it was reversed. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to go to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? In this portion of this story, we see the compassionate Savior. That verse that many of us as kids would memorize when we were trying to memorize a bunch of verses. Well, John eleven thirty five was always the first one because, hey, it's only two words. Jesus wept. And we kind of missed the powerfulness of what was happening here. See, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And he had the emotions and the feelings just like we have. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of that in Hebrews 4.15 when he wrote, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He fully immersed himself to show that he was relatable. Scripture tells us many times that he's close to the brokenhearted. Jesus is not just compassionate, but he's compassion itself. Jesus had compassion for Mary and Martha, and his spirit was moved. We have a Savior that understands and engages with human emotions. He's not void of our feelings, but joins us in our sorrows. It's truly a milestone moment in Scripture where we see Jesus caring and weeping for his friend. Reminds me of an old hymn that was written as a poem by a guy by the name of Joseph Scriven. Back in the 1800s, Joseph Scriven was somewhat of a poet, but he wasn't very well known. Joseph faced pain and suffering in his life. When he was engaged to be married for the first time, his fiancée drowned the night before their wedding. This poem that he wrote here was written to his mother who was ill across the sea in Scotland while he was in Canada. A little after he wrote this, he was engaged to be married a second time, and his fiancée died of pneumonia before they were married. It's at that point that he gave his life to full-time preaching. But he wrote poems, and one of them that he wrote became a hymn that you might be familiar with, and it says this, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness Take it to the Lord in prayer. Today, where are our sorrows? What pains are we experiencing that we need to hand off to a compassionate Savior? Jesus loves us. He cares for us. He hurts when we hurt. Today, maybe you're carrying that alone. The great thing about Mary and Martha was they let Jesus know that they were hurting and were glad that he was there to hurt with them. 
He didn't take the pain away. He had them experience it for a while. He had them sit in this. Their brother had been dead for four days. And yet here he is showing them compassion. The story concludes at verse number 38. It says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said on this account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I always think of growing up in junior church and church and when the teacher would tell this story, if they were a good teacher, they would get a kid to volunteer and they would have a roll of toilet paper to wrap around you. Then you could be Lazarus laying up on a table. But really, that's probably what it looked like. Said his feet and his hands were bound, his face was covered. He probably came hopping out of that cave like a mummy. Stinking, but alive. What a great story. This last thing here, we see the hope in a resurrection. Jesus brought hope through the resurrection. Remember earlier he said, I am the resurrection. This wasn't an event. What he's wanting the people to see. See, he waited four days because after four days was when the funeral would take place. After four days is when the people would be there. And all these people were gathered around. This isn't some secret miracle that Jesus is trying to perform. He's not trying to stay on the down low so that the Pharisees don't know what's going on. He's like, hey, I want everybody to know what I can do because I am God. I want you to see that I am the resurrection. And so I'm going to wait till the largest amount of people that will be there will be there so that they can all see that I am the resurrection and the life. Why? Because he wanted them to have hope. That's what we want to have is hope. That's why we love Christmas. There's something about Christmas that brings hope. Even to the biggest Scrooge. And we as Christians, we understand that Christmas is more than just Santa Claus and lights and decorations and parties. We understand that Christmas brings hope because Jesus was born. And here he brings hope to them. Maybe in our life there's some areas that some things have died that need resurrected. Maybe there's some areas in our life that the stone needs to be moved. So that we can let the resurrection and the life have access so that he can raise those things that we've let die. Maybe it's our relationship with him. Maybe it's some hopes and dreams that he put in our heart and our mind. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life. As we wrap this up today and we think about this, I find it hard to imagine that in this room there aren't some people right now that are suffering. 
that there aren't some people right now not understanding why God hasn't shown up in the timing and maybe struggling in our faith, maybe realizing it's fake and not authentic. Maybe we need to experience the compassion of the one true God or we need to find hope in our life. And when you put all that together, what it amounts to is that we need to reach out and say like Romans chapter 10 says, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. He's the one that can save us. Mary and Martha understood this. That's why they sent for him in the first place. This wasn't Mary and Martha discovering Jesus and who he was. They had a pretty good clue. That's why they sent for him to come. They said, listen, our brother's so sick, we have no hope outside of you. And some of us, we sit here today and we know who Jesus is and we have a relationship with him. But maybe we forget that, hey, there's still going to be sorrow and suffering in our life. There's still going to be times where God doesn't show up when he thinks he should, when we think he should. I can't imagine Mary and Martha just sitting there for days waiting, hoping that Jesus would show up. And then they put their brother in the tomb and he's been in there for four days. And finally, Jesus shows up. Maybe some of you need to experience the compassion of Christ in your life. You're carrying your burdens by yourself when Jesus says, hey, let me carry him with you. I want to feel what you feel. I want to hurt when you hurt. I want to have joy when you have joy. And maybe we just need to be reminded of the hope of the resurrection, of who Jesus is. Can I encourage you as you read this chapter and you think about the story of Lazarus, don't focus so much on Lazarus. Focus on Jesus, who he is. Maybe today that middle thing, that authentic faith journey is where you need to be. At Christmas, we always seem to have people that show up to church because they, they know that Christmas is really about Jesus and it's a good thing to go to services. Man, we're so excited for our services Saturday night and next Sunday morning. Because we know if you make the invite, people are going to show up because they, they want some hope in their life. And many will come just to appease their conscience. Many will come just to say, hey, I was in church just like I grew up going but really what they need is an authentic faith journey. They need to make Jesus Christ their own. They need to make him the Lord of their life. And maybe that's where you're at today. See, this whole thing is Jesus came so they may believe that he is the Christ. The reason he's doing this is he wanted people to see like, I am the son of God. I am he who is going to pay for your sins. In just a few days, you're going to put me on a cross. But three days later, I'll rise myself from the dead. I'm the guy that brings life. Maybe today that's what you need in your life. Maybe today that's where you're at. So right now, if we could just have an attitude of prayer, if we could just bow our heads. Today, if that's your desire, if you say, hey, this is, this is where I'm at. My faith hasn't been authentic. Maybe you've been faking it. Maybe this is the first time you've ever stepped foot in a church. But you say, I want something real in my life. Can I encourage you that Jesus is the resurrection and he is the life? And today, if that's your desire to put your faith and trust in him and only him, say something like this. Say, God, I confess my sins to you. 
And I believe, Jesus, that you are God. And I want to thank you, first of all, for dying in my place for my sins, but I also want to thank you for rising again from the dead. God, today, I lower my pride and I put my faith and my trust in you and only you. Thank you for saving me. Lord, for those that have made that decision in their life, I ask today that they would understand the grace and the love of God. God, that they would be encouraged by your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for paying the price on the cross for our sins. Thank you for rising again from the dead so that we could have a relationship with you, Lord. We live in a world where there's so much suffering and so much pain. And God, you're the answer. It doesn't mean all that goes away, but it means you bring peace in the middle of it. Lord, for those of us that know you, I ask that we would be reminded of who you are. And how much you love us, how much you care for us, how compassionate you are. Lord, and that you walk with us. Even in the dark times, you're always with us. Well, thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give it up for those that put their faith and trust in Jesus today? Can I encourage you, if that was the decision that you made, to let someone know that you've made that decision? Uh, we would love to come alongside you, encourage you. We believe that moving together is better. And so you could fill out that green card on your chair and mark that, hey, I put a faith decision in Christ. Drop it off at the Connect area. You can text the word Mile City to 94000 and follow the instructions on the screen there. But just let somebody know that you put your faith in Christ.